Over the almost 500 episodes of the Inner Circle podcast, I've had some excellent guests that are true legends in the music business. One is the late Al Schmidt, who unfortunately left us in 2021. Al won 20 Grammy Awards over his long career, recorded and mixed over 150 Golden Platinum albums, and even had his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, appropriately in front of his beloved studio home, Capitol Records Studios. In this replay from November 2018, we talked about his stint as a staff producer for RCA, working with Paul McCartney, his favorite instrument to record, some of his favorite gear and techniques, and much more. I originally spoke with Al via phone from his home outside of Los Angeles. Let's talk about the book, Why Now? (laughs) Why now? I guess, why now? People kept asking me, God, you got to do a book. You got to do a book, Al, you know, and people kept doing it. So finally, Maureen Troni uh, came to me and said, you know, there's so much interest in it, in a book and, uh, you know, I'd love to help you with it. And, and uh, uh, you know, I love Maureen. And so we sat down, we'd sit down every Saturday. She'd come over to the house and we'd turn on the tape machine and, and just start talking, you know, and she'd ask me questions and, and that's how it came about. It took about a year and a half. And uh, and now tomorrow is the day it's released, but uh, it's already doing amazing so far. So we're kind of happy. Wow, that's awesome. Was there anything in the book difficult for you to write? In other words, difficult for you to put in there? Yeah, well, it wasn't difficult, but it, it brought back so many memories. Uh, you know, the... the uh, Dinner I had the last night with Sam Cooke was uh, was kind of a tough one to, you know, brought back a lot of memories, and that was tough to uh, get that done. Um, no, and most of it was fairly easy. To, uh, you know, it just kind of flowed out. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that's not in there, but, uh, you know, you can really do so much. And after the book came out, I realized, oh, I should have done this, or I should have done that, but, you know, Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Okay. Give me an example of something that you wish you would have put in there. Oh, well, some of the things that, uh, you know, some of the sessions when, you know, setting up and then realizing, uh, you know, the whole setup was wrong and how we had to just tear everything down quickly because the downbeat was in 10 minutes and try to reset the studio. Uh, things like that, that, you know, people talk to me about and, uh, you know, I'd bring up that. Those are things I think were, would have been nice to get in there. And, and it would have been nice to talk about uh, just what it was like to work with some of my friends. Not so much artists and all, but, but friends, other engineers and, and so forth. I think that would have been, could have been a nice chapter. But it's too late now. I'm trying, I, I think we're going to do an audio book, so uh, maybe I could sneak that stuff in the audio book. Some people have trouble working with their friends because there's sort of a competition there. Did that ever happen to you? No, no, no. With me, it's just, it's always been just the opposite. Absolutely. No, never. Uh-uh. I enjoy working with people that, certainly people I like and respect. So, you know, it's never any competition. I'm not in competition with anybody anyway. Uh, you know, I do what I do. I just try to, be the best I can be that day, and uh, and and that's it. So I don't, you know, I, I just, I don't um, 
grade my grade my work compared to anybody else's or anything else. What I do is what I do, and and that's it. Well, you're pretty much beyond that now. <laughs> you know, let's face it. <laughs> you know, after you've been around for a while and had the success that you've had, you no longer have to do that or worry about that. Yeah, well, I don't anymore. I mean, I, I, you know, I used to get a little nervous before the session, certainly when I first started, um, and especially with uh, doing sessions when I wasn't sure, like the first, you know, horn sessions and the first big string dates, and then uh, uh, different uh, uh, kind of bands and so forth. And I get a little nervous before, but you know, I've done it so much and. And the time that I spent at uh, radio recorders and RCA and uh, as an engineer, um, I did so many albums. Uh, you know, back then you'd do an album in two days. You know, and I was working from uh, 9 to 12 and then 2 to 5 and then 8 to 11. And that was six days a week. And we just recording all the time. And this, of course, was in the 60s. And uh, when uh, it was music business heaven at that point, you know, everybody was buying records and, and everybody was recording. So, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I just don't get nervous anymore because I've done everything. I, have, I don't think there's an instrument in the world I haven't seen. That being said, is there one that's more difficult than another for you than the others? Uh, no, you know, getting a really good piano sound, I think, is, is uh, tough, you know. Uh, my favorite instrument to record, believe it or not, is an upright bass. Um, I, I just, you know, I never wanted to play the bass, but I just love the way the bass sounds. And uh, so I always strive to get a great bass sound, and, and uh, you know, I have a lot of bass players who are, are friends, of mine and fans, you know, because I, I work hard getting a great bass sound, and uh, it's not that it's difficult. It's just that I make sure every little detail is taken care of. I know there's a lot of ways to do that. What's your technique, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, no, I don't mind at all. My technique, uh, so to speak, is I, I use two M149s. Neumann M149s, and I love those because they've got a really nice top end to them uh, that I like, plus they get that great bass thing. I put one about 12, 14, 15 inches from the F-hole, and then I put the other mic up near the fingerboard about the same distance from where the guy's playing with his fingers, so I can pick up some of that that articulation there. And then I take the two mics and I put them in summit limiters, but I just tap them like a DB. And I do it mainly because I just love the sound of the summits that it gives the bass, the, the tube sound in there that gives it the bass. And that's it. Then I bring the faders up, make sure the uh, preamps are set and working right, and uh, I'm all for running. Let's go back to your book for a second. Was it difficult for you to remember the details of you know something that happened 40 years ago? Oh, yeah. I say this because having co-written the book with Ken Scott, I know that there were m many situations where he just couldn't remember and he would refer me to other people who were there and we'd kind of collectively put the picture together of what really happened. Uh, so I'm just wondering how that worked with you. Yeah, for me, it was very difficult to uh, to do that because, uh, you know, trying to remember little details of things that happened uh, 
so forth. Uh, it was tough, and, and, and because there was no one else around back then, um, you didn't have an assistant. You were just the engineer who worked on it, and a lot of those people that early in my career that I worked with, uh, you know, are no longer in the business or they're gone. Uh, there was nobody to really saw it back to. So those things are not in the book. And, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, you know, you remember it later and say, oh, man, what did you get that in there? Yeah. You know, because that little detail of this little thing. And, and yeah, it's so it was very hard to remember everything and all the details. Thank God for Maureen because she was able to get stuff out of me and she was able to look up things that, that I didn't remember. And there were some things, you know, thank God for the internet. There were some things she was able to track down that way. Was there something that she tracked down that completely had skipped your memory that you just hadn't thought about in years? Boy, that's hard to say. I can't remember offhand right now. Uh, that might be a good question for Marine. Yeah. Um, she probably would know better than me. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's nothing I can remember right now. I wish I could. I can't. You know, the, there's a situation when I was co-writing the uh, Ken Scott book where we were trying to figure out some things about Trident Studios and no one could remember. And it turns out that a friend of mine, a former roadie of mine from way back in my early Pennsylvania days where I grew up, happened to be a Trident around the same time as Ken and had a picture. And there was a picture of oh, wow. Ken and Roy Thomas Baker in the control room of Trident, and there was a tape machine behind him. And I showed this picture to Ken, and he says, that can't be. We never had a tape machine in the control room. I said, well, look, here's the picture. Here's the proof, right? And he just could not remember, even though there was photographic proof. So it just goes to show you how, you know. <laughs> I, well, I know exactly. You know, I love Ken, and that, but I know exactly what he was going through because I'm just the same way. And somebody said, well, here's a picture. I God, I, I can't remember that. That's, I just don't remember it like that, whatever it was. And uh, so I know where uh, Ken is coming from. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've been doing this, guys, I've been, you know, 60 years of making records. Um, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm lucky I remember my own name at this point, you know? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you you memory little things slip by and so forth. So, yeah, I have to read my own book to remember what I put in. <laughs> well, you know, that begs a question then. So you've been doing this for a really long time, but yet you've been able to keep up with the technology where a lot of people can't, but you seem to roll with it with no problem. So what's the secret of that? The secret of that is having great assistance. You know, I've been blessed um, all my life, especially with as uh, you know, Pro Tools and that started coming in. Uh, I've been blessed with working with like uh, Bill Smith, uh, was my assistant for seven years, and Steve Jenowick, uh, my assistant now for 18, 20 years. Uh, I mean, these guys are all really on top of it, and they teach me little things and show me little things, and so I can get on Pro Tools and they set up dot one dot, and that goes back to the beginning, and I know how to go forward, and I know how to reverse, and how to find certain things. But if you ask me to go in and start tuning, forget it. I wouldn't know how to do it, you know? Um, we we never did any of those things earlier. So so I'm blessed with working with, uh, you know, there's another guy at Capital Channel, I have it that I would watch, and, uh, you know, these guys are amazing. 
and they they know my shortcomings and they just take care of it. They don't even talk to me about it. They just do it. So, yeah, blessed. You were so lucky to come up with some of the best equipment that was ever made, the best sounding equipment that was ever made and stuff that we look back on, you know, and revere. Is that the way you feel about it? Do you feel like modern gear is up to the task or have we gone past what was kind of like the best sound? Oh, no, no. I think some of it is really uh, up to, up to the, the, the test of things. Uh, you know, there's, they're making some great microphones today uh, uh, that are amazing. Um, preamps that are amazing. Uh, consoles, I mean, the... I love working on the, the uh, Neve 88R. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think we've been rolling along pretty well at a pretty good pace. The thing is, when I started, we didn't have equalizers and we didn't have compressors, so you had to learn how to do everything without those. So to get a brighter sound on the guitar. I used a brighter microphone uh, to use, you know, whatever I used on the drums to make sure I was getting a nice cymbal sound at all. I used a microphone that would do that. Um, so I learned how to use my microphones as equalizers, pretty much. And, you know, I, um, you know, when, when the only two microphones started coming out, the quality of, was so great. And being able to take a microphone and put it from cardioid when you're listening to something and then put it on me and hear the difference of what happens to the mic and how it sounds because it's picking up ambience from the room and all. Um, I just don't, I just don't ever use EQ. Uh, the only EQ I ever use, and even when I'm mixing, I don't use EQ except on the, on the, uh, on the bus when, uh, you know, the mix bus yeah. on the out, outside. I use uh, an API up there, get air and a tiny pile thing, and that's it. Wow. So I could I could function very well in a world without equalizers. The only time I really use them is if I'm mixing somebody else's, something that I got from somebody that maybe was recorded in a little dumpy little place or something or the sound, and then I may get in and start equalizing and trying to... But I think equal, when you put a lot of equalizing, you're changing the phasing yeah. all over the board and all, and it just uh, it totally affects the way things sound. People say, God, your sound sounds so clear and so warm and all this shit. Well, maybe that's the secret. Try doing stuff without equalizing. See what you can come up with. Yeah, especially the generation coming up now. I don't know that they're taught that way or probably haven't been taught no, that way not. for a long time. Yeah. That uh, microphones are important in placement and the type of microphone that you're using. So, yeah, I could see that, definitely. Yeah, I agree. You just mentioned something that's interesting. So, how often do you go in and change a pattern on a microphone? Because it sounds like you're not afraid to go to Omni where, you know, a lot of engineers, they only use cardioid. They don't even think about that. Yeah, no, no. 90% of the microphones I use are in Omni. If I'm doing a big band session, I have five saxophones on the, uh, five uh, mics on the saxophone. They're all in Omni. Five, four mics on the trumpets, they're all in Omni. I'm not worried about stuff leaking back and forth. That gives the depth things it gives an almost three-dimensional sound so no um i i i 
use my bikes in Omni quite a bit. And screen dates, all of my screen bikes are in Omni. All of them. Yeah, I, I just, it's the way I I learned. And, and you know, I, I had set up a session one time where all the mics were in you know, the interdirectional, and we had set them up, and it just wasn't right to me. And so I said to the assistant, let's go out and change all this. So we took the mics and put them all in Omni. And the whole things changed. It was like somebody turned a light on and we were capturing all the warmth of the room and, and the, the air. It it was like we looked at one another and that was it from then on. You know, I don't even I mean, that's where I go. I put the mics up on, on big orchestra dates, they're all in Omni. But see again, you're not afraid of leakage and you, you use it to your benefit. Yeah, I embrace it. Yeah. There's a whole generation of engineers that don't look at it that way. They think, well, I want as much isolation as possible. When I go to mix with the masses in, in Europe all the time, and, and every, I go every year, and there's always 15 engineers from all over the world, you know, Singapore, Finland, China, um, South America. They come from all over. And they're all amazed at, at how we we do things and and uh, and what I mix and how I set up things and and you know I'll get their mixes and we'll play it back and listen to it and then I'll get the files and I'll put up the uh, a mix and in fifteen twenty minutes I'll have a better mix than they have and I'm not using any EQ <laughs> so you know it's, they're all stunned by it you know they they stand there they just shake their heads. You know, but they're in there with all these artifacts and all these plugins and trying to do and and when you get rid of all that shit, it it makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's it's worthless. Uh, you know, because there are certain times when uh, you know a plugin equalizer might be just what you need to help DS something or whatever. Um, but you know, I don't use plugins ever. I don't mix in the box, um, and that's it. And if people that hire me know that, so they hire me for what I do, you know. How long do your mixes take? Oh, God, I, listen, I just mix, I mix a whole trio album with uh, a jazz trio. I mix the whole lot of songs in one day. Hmm. Uh, you know, at the, we did 18 songs with the uh, carpenters, and I mixed them in two weeks. Uh, normally, I, I mix very fast. I, I usually get two, sometimes three mixes a day. Especially if it's something I recorded. Yeah, yeah. When I'm recording, I'm already figuring out what I'm going to do mixing. I place things where I'm going to put them in, in the mix and that kind of thing. So, you know, I make sure the levels are great, that there's a good balance. So you can take a rule and put the faders up and, and have a pretty good mix. Now, that being said, you're picky about your ambience, though, the reverbs that you use. And I, I know you have favorites there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I use, you know, I love uh, the live uh, Chambers of Capital. I'm blessed that I get to use them. Uh, I, I love the Bukowski, uh Great one. I have an M6000. Uh, there's a 480 that I use. Um, trying to think of what else. Uh, oh, um, um, Keegan, it, it, is it? Yeah, the German company. They make a great echo. Keegan. I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 They make, they make a great reverb that I love. I've been using that a lot lately. So, uh, yeah, they make great stuff. 
So then are you using different reverbs on different mix elements? Yeah, yeah. I try to I try to keep you know, I try not to put more than two things in the same uh reverb, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Um yeah, I have a special you know, the certain live chamber I use for screams, another live chamber that I'll use for vocals and when my vocals I'm usually using a live chamber and a Pocaski. And it's a combination of the two. And I tweak it until it just sounds the way I want it to sound, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to your book again. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the book? Ooh, my favorite part of the book is the ending, when everybody in the book is talking about what it's like to work with me. I think that's one of my favorite. Then, of course, how, how not could you be a favorite part with Paul McCartney doing the forward in the book? Um, that was That was so cool. Working with Paul was really quite an experience. Uh, the first time I worked with him, it, it was just, I, I was so blown away by his talent and and the kind of person he is. I mean, it, it just doesn't get any nicer than Paul McCartney. He's just such a cool guy. Um, and it was so much fun making that record. So part of the book is that, and, you know, making the record, talking about that, and, and just reminiscing, I, you know, it was great uh, to, um, Marie would bring something up and I would, uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm, and then yeah. I'd remember something and talk about what, what it was. So those are some of my favorite parts because it made me remember back when those things were happening. You know, there are things in the book, like when I, I worked with Sammy Davis, I did uh, What Kind of Fool Am I? I did a bunch of things with Sammy, and I loved him, and he was so much fun, to, you know, and, and it was always a contingent of people in the control room sitting around drinking and stuff and, and having a good time. Uh, and, uh, you know, just when I did uh, What Kind of Fool Am I? It was on a Saturday, and uh, this is an interesting story because Marty Pace was the arranger. I was the engineer and the producer of the record. Forgot there was a date. It was on a Saturday, and he never showed up. <laughs> he got credit for doing it, but that's the way it came out. Yeah, huh. I mean that things like that happen quite a bit. There were also times when guys would come in, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to be a producer at at uh, at one point in my life. Was uh, you know guys would come in and be on the phone. Hmm. And they they weren't producing a record, or they they come in, they do a song or two, and leave, and then the, the hit would be one that we did after they left. <laughs> um, so I thought, geez, these guys are getting all the credit and making all the money, and 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 I'm doing all the work here. I might as well get in on that too. So that's when I made that transition from uh, from engineer to uh, to producer, and then at RCA. When I made that transition, I was not allowed to touch the board anymore because of the union problems. Wow. wow. So uh, so I just stopped engineering for a period of time, almost six years. Wow. Uh, I was just producing. Did you burn out in producing? I did. I did burn out in producing. Uh, 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 Tommy LaPuma got me back. He he asked me, uh, he said, oh, you were a good engineer with Bruce Bonnick was working on this project with him, and Bruce had to leave to go to the doors. So he said, you look an engineer. Will you mix this album for me? And I said, oh, Tommy, I don't think I can do it anymore. He said, come on. It's like riding the bike. And we made a deal, and I went in and did it. And as I started putting the album together, mixing it, I thought, 
this is my first love. Why am I not doing this? Hmm. You know, this is what I got into business for at all. And it was a state major record called Alone Together. Oh, I remember. And uh, yeah. it was just a great, you know, great record. And, yeah. and it got me back into it. And then I realized I was, uh, you yeah. know, producing, you you have to, uh, you got to figure out a budget. If the artist doesn't write songs, you got to find songs for the artist. You got to um, uh, hire the musicians or hire a, an arranger and a contractor. And, and I mean, it's all falls on you. And then, uh, you know, if you're doing both, then you, you're engineering also. But at one point, I wasn't doing both. But still, it was so much work. And I had 11 artists that I was dealing with at RCA. Wow. And it just burned me out. And that's when I left and just started producing the uh, Jefferson Airplane. Yeah, we talked about the Jefferson Airplane once before. I, I remember asking you about that first album why is there so much reverb on it? And you said, well, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the engineer on it. Oh, the first album. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I did, uh, the first album I did was Baxter. Ah, okay. Yeah, I know. That's one of the reasons I wound up the airplane, because they hated the way those records sounded. Yeah. There was just too much echo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on everything. And, they, and, they, and then when they tried to... Uh, the producer was adamant and all, and, and with me, it was just the opposite. I was making their record, not my record. You know, you mentioned Paul McCartney before, and I'm curious because Paul, I would assume, is used to working one way, and he's come up in the Abbey Road EMI system. Was it any different when you worked with him? Did he ask you to do things that, that you weren't used to, or did he want to work with the way you do things? How did that work? Yeah, I know. He wanted to work with the way we did things, you know. Uh, uh, Tommy LaPuma and me and uh, Diana Crow was a big part of it. Uh, yeah, he, he put himself in our hands, so to speak, because he had never made an album like this. He had always wanted to do a record like this. He wasn't even sure he could do it. And the first date we did was kind of an experimental date just to see if he was able to do it. And it took uh, maybe an hour or so, and then all of a sudden it just clicked. And bam, and he came out, and he would love to come in to control him because I'd have a good balance, I'd have a nice echo on the voice and everything, and it'd sound almost like a record. And he'd come in and listen, and, and you know, I'd see this smile on his face. And, yeah, now, and he realized he could do this. And, you know, because when he was a kid, all his aunts and uncles would come over, or they'd go to one of their houses, and they'd roll up the rug, and they had a play a piano, and they would sing all these songs. The family would sit around, and everybody, and he always wanted to do that. It was amazing uh, to watch that happen. And, uh, and you know, to watch him, and, and that, I don't know how well you know Paul, but he gets a twinkle in his eye, and and you know that, that everything is right. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really cool to watch him. Do you have a favorite part of your career? Oh, I guess, the, you know, the, I loved it. I was a bebopper, you know, and I loved those. That was a favorite favorite time in my career, you know, with Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan and Suit Sims and, and uh, Charlie Parker and Lenny Trescano and all those great. Those were the things I just loved because I used to pay a dollar when I was 16 and go to a club like the Royal Roost or Pop City uh, those places just to hear these guys and now all of a sudden I'm in the same room 
recording them. Mm. And it's like a dream. It's like when they were walking in, it's like watching Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio come into the control room, you yeah, know? Yeah. They were they just were my heroes. So that that was that's my favorite time, yeah. Oh, I love what I'm doing now. You know, I do a lot of big dance things and orchestra things and all. Well, unfortunately, we're not doing a lot of jazz anymore, and we just lost Roy Hargrove. Yeah. And uh, you know, jazz trumpet player, and uh, and I did a bunch of records with him, and and they were always fun. I do it just. I did one earful, which is just uh, quintet, uh, trumpet sax and bass, drums, and piano. Uh, the, the fabulous record. I just love that record. Uh, I did, recorded this big band. And, uh, yeah, so, and, and Diana Crawl is another one. I love, you know, she comes in with the rhythm section, and and all the orchestrations are done later, but it's so much fun just at that particular time, you know, her, the piano, the the, the musicians, and watching everybody play off everybody else and how they, they make their changes and, and it's it's wonderful. You know, and when I you know, some of these kids are making a record, the drummers in the studio, the bass players in Canarsie somewhere, <laughs> uh, the guitar players in San Diego, <laughs> you know, that I mean they they're not playing off one another. They're playing right what's there in front of them. Um but when everybody's in the studio, you can see the changes. The guy hears the guitar player, keyboard player, hears the guitar player do a certain thing, and he comes up, does something that riffs off that. That doesn't happen when you're making records one instrument at a time. And uh, I don't do those things, fortunately. And, uh, you know, and it's just, I love musicians. I love to hang out with them. I love when they come in. I'm always out there with them chatting and seeing how everything is and talk to them about their, their instrument and what's the best sound and what do they like. And, you know, I try to make it fun for everybody, you know, not hard stuff going on. And way you know, I'm trying to get a drum sound for three hours. If I don't have a drum sound in 10 minutes, I'm never going to get it. You know, you mentioned something over and over while we've been talking, and it's how much fun you were having or how much fun the session was or how much fun a certain person was. And it seems like that's a central part of what you're doing. It's it's the most, it's the best. I mean, I wouldn't do this if I wasn't uh, having fun. I, I tell people all the time, I lie to my wife when I tell them I'm going to work, you know? I mean, I don't go to work. I go to play. You know, I go in town. I'm just hanging with people I like and people I love. I'm I'm making music. Some of the music's going to affect the lives of millions of people around the world. You know, it brings joy to them and passion and, and things. And how the fuck can you not enjoy doing it? Yeah. Especially if you can do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And you're still busy. You're still working on lots of stuff all the time. Yeah, I just finished the uh, the uh, mixing the Carpenters record uh, with the, the Carpenters with the uh, uh, London Symphony Orchestra, and it, uh, it'll be out December 7th. Mm. And uh, we kept Karen in the background, you know, redid the orchestra and all that, and uh, I mixed it all with, with the help of Chandler Harrod and Steve Chenowick. You know, we, we finally were able to get it done, and, and it's, it's an amazing record. And Karen was one of the great singers of all time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I'm trying to stay busy. I'm I'm taking a little time off now because of the book. 
you know, I'm doing serious radio interviews and that kind of stuff. So I'm just kind of kicking back. I worked a lot this year and I'm just relaxing. I, I have an album that I do with uh, Trisha Yearwood that'll be out, I think, in January. That's an amazing record. She sang a lot of the old Sinatra songs and uh, uh, Vince Mendoza did the orchestrations with a 62-piece orchestra. And it's just a wonderful record. And then uh, I finished Martina McBride's album that just uh, just came out, I think, Christmas album. And uh, so, yeah, life's good. <laughs> Last question, Al. What's the best piece of business advice that either you learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you? Well, business advice is to get a really good lawyer that you trust. That's that's the best thing I can advise you to do because if you leave it up to people, other people, or you say, oh, I don't care or whatever, you're going to get screwed out of a lot of money because I know I did. You know, I know along the way I got uh, where I thought I was getting points on things, was promised points on things, and never got them, and, and I had nothing written. I didn't have an attorney uh, take care of those things. So, yeah. That's one of the best things. And the other thing is follow your heart. Do what you love to do. You know, get in there and do what, what makes you happy. And if it's being a recording engineer or a record producer or a songwriter, you know, good luck. Do it. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.